Turn with me, please, to Galatians chapter 5. For just a few moments tonight, I want us to consider verses 1 through 7. Paul, writing to the Galatian brethren, said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you whatsoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? As we study through the Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, talks about the coming of a Messiah. We read about His life while here on earth and then the fulfillment of the Bible or the balance of it talks about His return once again. Now His whole purpose in coming to earth in the first place was so that we might become rich through His poverty, Second Corinthians 8 verse 9. No one has ever been more poor, no one has been more abject in poverty than the Christ was while he lived upon this earth. The foxes had holes in which to den up, the birds had nests, and yet the the Savior of the world didn't have a place where he could lay his head. So when Paul preached to the Gentiles, he did that so that he might reveal to them the unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians 3, verse 8. It was a mystery at one time, but no longer after Christ came and established the church, the mystery was no more because... Paul, the other apostles, and all those who came after them had revealed that mystery through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as they preached and as they taught. Finally culminating in the canon of the Bible where in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe verse 10, talked about that thing which was perfect. That thing, not Christ, wasn't referring to Christ. Christ was perfect in this life, but He wasn't that perfect thing that was to come. That perfect thing was the balance of the New Testament in written form. And so he came and revealed that, and he did it through the Holy Spirit. And so Paul was able to reveal that to all people. And we can reveal it to those who are not aware of the things that Christ does for those in this world. Those who uh, simply are not or have not been educated in the way that God would have us to search and read the Scripture and find out what he wants. During his ministry, though, he made some warnings on various things, and ultimately his whole ministry was focused toward that which is eternal. When we read his statement in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he warned about laying up our treasures on earth where moth doth corrupt, uh, and uh, uh, robbers break in and steal from us. Instead, he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth doesn't corrupt, rust doesn't corrupt. Uh, No one's going to break in and steal the things that you have. Once we gain eternal life, once we've gone into eternity, having been found faithful, no one can take that from us. And so he was warning the people, lay up for your treasures where it matters, on eternal things. Now, there were some sad occasions 
during the life of our Lord where he tried to explain that to some people and a vast majority of them would not accept. One particular that we can think of, Matthew 19, verse 16, when the rich young ruler came and asked, Master, what good things should I do that I might inherit eternal life? Of course, he told him to keep the law and the commandments and and his statement was, I've kept those from my youth and there was still a problem. Because that young man had been laying up treasures on earth and he had been forsaking the eternal. Understanding and knowing that, Jesus said, well, go sell off all that you have and give it to the poor, come follow me. Now, that wasn't an example that everyone has to get rid of all their finances in this world. That, uh, uh, you know, God never told Abraham to do that. He certainly didn't tell Job to do it, though it was taken from him, but he replenished it. It's okay to be wealthy in this life. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man and he laid the Christ in his own tomb. It's okay to be wealthy. As we look at the interactions that he had with his good friend Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha, it appears that they were wealthy and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy unless we allow that to interfere with our eternal treasure. And of course, that's what this young man was doing. And of course... uh it is possible, or it, it, it's, it's not reasonable for us to look at that account of this rich young man and think that he would give up what Christ was offering. But that was the purpose of his coming. He wanted the world to be able to, to become rich spiritually through his abject poverty in this physical life. But there are un, untold numbers of people in the world who allow things of this life, not always finances, it could be anything, to interfere with them and eternal life, to stand between, to block the way. Paul, or excuse me, the Lord spoke of the Pharisees, how they were not interested in heaven and they would shut the doors of heaven to others who would desire to go in. Well, there are a lot of people in this world who shut the doors themselves. They may not even realize it at the time. But there's going to be a lot of people standing in front of the Savior at the end of time and He's going to tell them to depart from me, ye who work iniquity. I don't know who you are. Uh, Matthew 25, 41. He'll cast them into the devil's fire. Hell prepared for the devil and his angels. Never prepared for mankind. But we can go there. And they're going to all of a sudden, they're going to be shocked at that statement and they're going to say, wait a minute. I did all of these things in your name. I did this and that and and any number of good things in this world. He'll say, I never knew who you were. Matthew 7, 22. And so when we look at the things, the instruction, a lot of time the instruction that we receive in the New Testament is a comparative instruction. Jesus or Paul or whoever it might have been would make a statement either in the negative or the positive and saying do this or don't do that. Well, Paul made a statement in Genesis or excuse me, Galatians chapter 5. He said those who gave themselves in essence, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, who gave themselves to the law of Moses in that they observed those Uh, religious rites under the law of Moses, he said, Christ will not profit you. Well, that's one way of stating the obvious, isn't it? One can say, well, Christ will profit you if you do this. And we do that a lot. We need to understand and be able to say, 
Christ will benefit us if we do this, this, and this. The title of the sermon tonight is Christ's sacrifice will not benefit everyone. And so we might say if we want Christ's sacrifice to benefit us, we need to <clears throat> excuse me, be, be obedient to His commandments. And sometimes we allow that statement to interfere with us properly examining ourselves. Someone says, well, I obeyed the gospel. I read the scripture. I believed what it said about Jesus, that He is the Son of God. I affirm that. I want to change my life. I want to do things differently. We call that repentance, right? Well, I'm going to turn my life around toward God. I'm going to confess and, and, and proud to make that confession to anyone that would listen. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Submitting to baptism, going into the water, being buried with Christ, Romans 6, 3 and 4. To come up to walk in a new life, having our sins washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen, And then going on to, in our own minds, living faithfully. Well, that was what was going on in Galatia. They had done all those things. And somehow or another, they had become blinded to some very real facts in their lives, and they were missing what was going on. Well, what was going on was the people in Galatia were teaching that they had to bring in certain ceremonial aspects of the old law. And so as they continued to live for Christ, or at least they thought they were, they were allowing these other aspects to come in because of the old law, and some of them were... Uh, what Paul would refer to as Judaizing teachers, bringing in aspects of the law. And so it wasn't in their mind as if they were not obeying God. I think that's a real problem in the world today. I think that's a problem with a lot of individuals. That's been a problem in my life before and in probably a lot of our lives, where we think we're doing that which we need to be doing, and we've blinded ourselves in some way. Well, they had blinded themselves. And so instead of just simply going to the positive and saying, if you want Christ's sacrifice to benefit, you do this. Paul now changed gears, so to speak, and he said, he, he uh, explained it in the negative. If you do this, Christ's sacrifice will not benefit you, will not profit you. Who are the people to whom Paul declared... Christ shall profit you nothing. Well, let's notice a little something about these people tonight. Let's look at it in the the negative sense. Sometimes we need to say, okay, you need to do this, but don't do that. Right? Our first point tonight is, Christ's sacrifice will not benefit everyone, and those people to whom Paul was speaking were those who would return to the world. That's our first point. Now, there was this great problem in Galatia. We just mentioned it. People were trying to add aspects of the, of the old law into the Christian faith. Of course, in, in reply to, that, uh, to the idea that they were binding these things, Paul made a declaration. And we've read it, Galatians 5, 2 through 4, that if you continue in doing those things, you are separating yourself from God. Upholding the law of Moses as God's law today is not the only way in which someone would return to the world. See, the old law was a physical law. It was spiritual law as well. Anything that comes from God has a spiritual essence to it. 
But there were things they had to do physically over and over and over and over. Right? They had to offer sacrifice, offer sacrifice. The problem was that the sacrifices they were offering would not take away sin. They simply put sin away, put it off, rolled it forward. I think is the word that, the phrase that Moses would use. But a Christian today can leave Christ, and that's who he's talking to, Galatians chapter 1, he's talking to the church in Galatia. A Christian can leave Christ today for any number of reasons. I know that uh, I spoke with a young man not too awfully long ago, and he was a member of the Lord's Church at one point, and he'd gone off into a, a denomination, and he was a priest of some sort. And I, I just it was hard for me to understand that. Hard for me to understand that. But that happens because that was happening during Paul's day. They had left Christ after having learned the truth and they had gone back or tried to go back to this old law. So the only law that can save mankind today is Christ's law. We live under law. We live under faith and law. The law of Christ, the law of liberty. And so what we have to understand is we have to maintain that law. What do we need to do? Well, we need to do such and such in obedience to the gospel plan of salvation and then do this and this to maintain that salvation. And don't do this. Don't return back to the world. Don't engage in a problem that someone else has decided was something that we needed to do, right? So when someone comes and begins to explain to us a pattern of salvation that is foreign to the Bible, we need to say, wait a minute, I can't do that. In Galatians chapter 1, the the beginning of this letter, Paul said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel to another gospel, which isn't a gospel. It was a form of the gospel. They had taken Christ's gospel and they added some things to it, which changes it completely, right? Those of us who uh, took chemistry in college, notice I didn't say those of us who completed the course, those of us who took chemistry in college, we understand you can take a, a compound or a material and add a little something to it, it changes the whole thing, right? Or you can take something away from it, it changes the whole thing. So if we want to benefit from the sacrifice of Christ, we need to maintain what He gave us. What was the perverted gospel they had accepted? Well, it was this Judaizing idea of adding to the gospel. You know, they had accepted this version. That's, Paul said, you can't do that. Don't return to the world. Don't get involved in this problem. Well, where did the problem come from in the first place? They misunderstood the purpose of the law. The law was not to continue for eternity. The law was for a set period of time, 2,500 years, or 1,500, I have to go back and check my dates, the patriarchal law was in effect. The, the law of Moses was in effect. And then it ended when Christ established a church. And they were misunderstanding His purpose. What was the purpose of the old law? Well, the purpose of the old law was simply this. We can know how bad sin is. We can know the repercussion and the consequence of sin. What did Adam learn in the garden after he sinned. He learned something had to give its life. Something had to, to have its blood taken from it. Now there's a difference in Christ's sacrifice and animal sacrifice in a lot of ways. 
An animal does not willingly go to the slaughter. Christ did. They had to take and kill that animal, sacrifice it. Christ went willingly. I recall when when we were growing up, or when the girls were up in Piper with us, they were growing up, and we were we were out in the country, and they wanted uh, Taylor wanted to get a pig. I've talked to y'all about the pig, and uh, I said, okay, we'll get a pig, but we're going to eat the pig. And uh, I knew they'd change their mind. They didn't want any part of eating the pig, and I thought, well, you'll change your mind by the time it's over. And they had. By the time it was time to go back, they were ready for the pig to go away. Well, I loaded that pig up, took it to the slaughter, and they had to drag that thing and prod that thing all the way in there. You know why? Didn't want to go. But it did. It was forced to go. Christ wasn't forced to do anything. He willingly gave himself. But that's what the law demonstrated. You sin, something dies, and has to give its blood. The difference in Christ's sacrifice is we sin, He died, He didn't spill blood. He shed His blood, He gave His blood. He allowed Himself to be murdered on the cross. He walked to the slaughter. See, the people needed to understand some some very important truths. The law wasn't wrong, the law wasn't sinful. We read that in Romans 7, verse 7. Paul said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God didn't end the law because it was sinful. He said, God forbid, I wouldn't have known about sin if it hadn't been for the law. I wouldn't have understood the repercussion if it hadn't been for the law. Here's something else the law told us. Only blood can atone for sin. But a perfect sacrifice is what's needed to atone permanently. The animal sacrifice couldn't do it. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, the writer of Hebrews said. And they, and they knew that. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. But then he told us what would take away sin. Notice what the writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 9. Then said he, Lo, speaking of the Christ, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we, will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We live under no aspect of the old law. No aspect whatsoever. Someone says, well, you can't worship an idol. No, the New Testament teaches that. Someone says, well, you still can't murder. Absolutely. Romans chapter 13 teaches that. We can't covet. We can't do any of those things. Those same laws in the Ten Commandments, except for to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy, were brought over and taught as New Testament law. We're under no aspect of the old law. We live under the new law. And so the people had to understand. We learn what the uh, uh, consequences are of sin. And we need to understand those truths. It's no different today when groups or individuals misunderstand the purpose of God's present law. Now, a lot of people misunderstand because they willfully want to misunderstand. We studied that in, in the history of Israel. We're studying that on the, the Minor Prophets on Wednesday nights up till this past Wednesday. On Thursday morning, we're studying in the Judges, and we understand that, that they willfully ignored God's law. Not everyone is that way, but a, a vast majority of people want to do what they want to do. I understand that, don't you? I want to do what I want to do. I don't like being told what to do. 
But when we're talking about our spiritual welfare, we need to listen to what God has to say. So how different is it in the church today? No one's going to bind circumcision on us. Nobody's going to bind animal sacrifice on us. No one's going to bind to honor the Sabbath day on us. But what about when they bind something else? What about when someone binds an unacceptable act of worship? What if someone does that? It's no different, is it? It's been laid out for us. God has told us how to behave ourselves in the house of God. That's what Paul told Timothy. And when we do something other than that, we're returning to the world. Now, Peter talked about the consequences of returning to the world. Read with me 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter warned, beginning with verse 20, for if, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, okay, Jesus Christ gave us the knowledge, we escaped the sin of this world, how and why? Because He told us how to do it. He said, do this, this, and this. If you don't believe on Me, you'll die in your sins. John eight twenty four. Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. Unless you confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father which is in heaven. Matthew uh, 26. No, Matthew 10, I'm sorry. Matthew 10, 31, 32. Unless you're baptized, you cannot be saved. Mark 16, 16. So he told us, right? Peter goes on says, They are again entangled in them and overcome. We escape and then we can go back and be entangled. Notice what he said. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. So we have these Christians in Galatia. They had escaped the pollutions of the world. They had come out of Judaism that had been ended 30 years prior to that. And now they're going back. They're going back to entangle themselves in a religion that is no longer operating in this world. God took it away. Remember, that's what... The writer of Hebrews says, I come to do the will of God. He taketh away the first to establish the second. The latter end is worse. Peter goes on to say, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it than to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. That's what was going on in Galatia. Paul did not want them to stand before the Lord not having benefited from that great sacrifice. Wouldn't that be a shame? It is a shame that everyone in the world will not benefit from that amazing sacrifice and gift that Christ gave us as He walked to the cross. He he wasn't prodded to the cross. He didn't have to be forced to go to the cross. And then he compares it to the proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Those who return to the world cannot benefit from Christ's sacrifice. It is impossible. But not only them, there's going to be an aspect of people who refuse to obey God, period. You have those who return to the world. Now our second point is those who refuse to obey God cannot benefit from Christ's sacrifice. I believe a big problem in the world today is people 
are not obedient because they do not believe that disobedience means damnation. I spoke to some of you and told, told some of you about a, uh, a meeting I was just on back in April and uh, spoke about hell on the last night and talked about the warnings that Christ delivered, the warnings that Paul and Peter delivered. And this, uh, this brother came up to me and he was very upset and he said, I don't believe in a vindictive God. And I said, well, I don't either. Well, it didn't sound like it. I said, oh, because God warned us, against going to hell does not mean he's a vindictive God. If we do not believe in hell, we cannot believe in heaven. Without a hell, there is no heaven. God is a just God. He does not punish the righteous, and he does not reward the wicked. So either it is all true or none of it is true, right? And so there are going to be those who will not obey. They'll die in their sin. Again, John eight twenty four. I want us to notice John three sixteen. That's probably the most well known verse in the world. A person who knows nothing about the Bible can probably quote John three sixteen, or at least get pretty close. I'm one of those that gets pretty close. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now this Greek verb translated believeth is described as a present tense verb. Now what that means is it's a continuous action. We might say those who believe and keep on believing because can our belief grow cold? Can our belief die? Sure it can. Our love for someone can grow cold if we allow it to grow cold, and it can die. Our love for God can do that, right? Now, uh, one of the great things that I think people overlook when they misuse this verse is, the verse did not say, if you believe, you would not perish. It said, you should not perish. If you believe, and you keep on believing, right? Now, if we, because there's always that chance of stopping our belief. And so we have to be careful about that. One might have initial faith and then uh, leave the church. Decide they want to go back to the world. And so we have to be careful about that. Some refuse because they will not believe. And there's going to be a whole lot of people in the world who refuse because they will not bow. Pride enters into it. No one likes to be told what to do. When we read 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9, Paul describes the, the, the second coming and he makes this statement. He says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Now, does does that sound like God has in mind for the unfaithful to be punished for eternity? You can't get much clearer than that, can you? He's given us advance warning. You have this life in which to avoid eternal damnation. That doesn't mean He's a vindictive God. That shows that He's a loving God. He doesn't want us to go to hell. He doesn't want us to be destroyed 
but He's going to punish those who do not know and those who will not obey, those who refuse to bow. Now, Paul made a statement. Romans 14, verse 11 has been wholly misunderstood, I believe. He said, For it is written, As I live with the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess God. Now, he's quoting from Isaiah. The misunderstanding or the misinterpretation here is everyone will be saved. We need to read the context, don't we? Does it sound like in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9, everybody's going to be saved? Doesn't sound like that to me. So what could Paul be talking about? Did he tell the Thessalonians one thing and then tell the Romans something else? Absolutely not. He said, I teach the same thing in every church, every congregation of the Lord's people. He's talking about the last day. On the last day will be the only time in the history of humanity where everybody will bow before Christ and will confess He is the Lord because they're not doing it in this life. But when the last day comes and He casts judgment upon the people, the faithful will go to heaven, the unfaithful will be punished in hell, but everybody will recognize that He is Lord. Now there are a multitude of reasons why people will not bow. Let's go back to Egypt, the great exodus of which Moses led the children of of, uh, Israel out of Egypt and he went before Pharaoh and we remember it. Ten times he went before Pharaoh and Pharaoh received ten plagues. Not at one time did that affect him in the correct way, did it? Ultimately, in chasing Israel across the Red Sea, God destroyed the whole army of Egypt. What was Pharaoh's problem? Notice Exodus 5 verse 2. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh replies, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. He was a prideful man. He looked at himself as if he were a God. And who's this Lord you're talking about? I'm the one in charge. Pride got into the way. He decided he wanted to do what he wanted to do. He said, I don't know who the Lord is. But is that an excuse not to obey? No. Let's go back to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Those who know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is our obligation to learn what God wants us to learn. It was very important that Paul write this letter to Galatia. Souls were in danger of leaving the church. And that's always a problem and a concern. If it wasn't, Paul wouldn't have addressed it. There's an application in that for us today. We need to maintain our Christianity. We need to watch what we're doing. We need to say, okay, I'm doing this, this, and this, but now we need to change gears every once in a while and look at myself and say, well, I don't need to be doing that. Because we can fall into that trap of thinking everything's good, everything's good. Well, I'm just kind of ticking along. And then all of a sudden, we're doing something that God would not have us to do. There wasn't a member, I'm sure of it in my heart, at the Galatian church who thought they were being disobedient to God. They wanted to please Him. And that's why Paul wrote the letter. Like those who return to the world, those who refuse to obey Christ, they will not benefit from His sacrifice. But there's another group I want us to talk about for just a few moments. This is our last, third and final point. 
Those who refuse to repent will not benefit from the sacrifice of Christ. What might make it, uh, might be an excuse for someone to not repent? Well, I think we kind of talked about it when we talked about Pharaoh. Pride can get in the way. Pride can get in the way. People don't like being wrong. We don't like to be told we're wrong, right? Uh, so we have to be careful about that. Often pride will cause someone to refuse God. And it's a terrible thing when expressed improperly. Can we have pride in uh, certain things? One aspect of pride is absolutely acceptable. We need to have pride in our faithfulness. We need to have pride in Christ as the Savior. We need to have pride in having a good name and doing the things necessary to maintain that good name. We need to have pride in rearing our children in the proper way. Nothing wrong with pride until it becomes a selfish pride. Until it becomes a puffed up pride. Until it becomes a pride that makes me think of myself over everyone else. Let's go back to Acts 26 verse 28. Paul standing before King Agrippa, he says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Why almost? Well, Felix was sitting there. Everyone else was sitting there. He's going to listen to a slave who's in shackles. He's going to bow before an invisible God, someone you cannot see, when all along you're supposed to be worshiping the emperor or at least recognizing him as a God. I think pride might have stood in the way. We go back to Genesis chapter 4 and Cain offers a sacrifice that was not acceptable, but Abel did offer a proper sacrifice. And so... Because he is a loving God, God addressed that with Cain. And, and he asked him a question, Genesis 4, beginning with 6. He said, why, why art thou wroth? Why are you upset, Cain? Why are you mad? And why is, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door. What was Cain's response? It's a prideful response. We don't read about Cain repenting. We read about him becoming more angry, going into the field, killing his own brother. As if he could do that without God knowing about it. Pride. The two sons of Aaron. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. We read the result of their having offered strange fire to God. Who authorized them to do that? Well, here's what God authorized. You go to the altar, you get fire from the altar, and you burn your incense with that fire. Well, who said you could go get fire from a a campfire somewhere? Somewhere among the people. I don't know where they got the fire, but it certainly wasn't from the altar. Who authorized them to do that? They authorized themselves to do it, didn't they? They were prideful. They knew better than God. They were like Pharaoh. Who's God that ought to listen to his voice? I'm not going to let Israel go. And you can almost see it in the attitude of Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. I know better. This fire is just as good as any other fire. It all burns, right? No, wrong. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. There is a great lesson there. We cannot do something that God has not commanded us to do. We cannot go beyond that which is written. They did. 
So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. What's the difference in offering profane fire and offering uh, worship to God that He hasn't commanded us to, to offer? There's not a thing in the world different. Not a thing different. We're to offer the sacrifice of the fruit of our lips. Throughout the Bible, our prayers going up before God are compared to the incense that they burned as it went up to God. They did it improperly. If we do it improperly, God's not going to appreciate that. Pride will definitely keep someone from repenting, but prejudice can come in as well. How difficult is it to do something and to be a part of something for 30 or 40 years only to find out that that was wrong? I understand that. I believe something for a certain amount of time. I study the Bible and I come to the realization I haven't been doing it right. I believed something that was erroneous. I believed something that someone told me without me searching through the Scripture to find out if it was actually true or not. It's hard to turn that loose, isn't it? It's hard to turn that loose. I've studied with people and it's just, it is heartbreaking to hear them say, I've been such and such member of this denomination my whole life and I'll die a member of that denomination. My mom and daddy were members of that denomination. My granny was a member of that denomination. Are you saying that that it's not good enough for you? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it's not good enough for God. He has determined what we're to do in this life. And we need to overcome our pride and our prejudice. And say, I want to be a member of that church he said he would build in Matthew 16, verse 18. He said, I will build my church. He didn't say he would build a denominational church. We don't read about denominations in the New Testament in a favorable light. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul wrote a letter because he had learned from the house of Chloe that there were divisions within the church. Some people were calling themselves after Paul. Some people were calling themselves after Apollos and Cephas. Some were calling themselves after Christ, but not all of them. That, those are divisions. That, those are denominations. Paul rebuked that. Those who will not repent will not benefit from Christ's sacrifice, no matter the reason. Pride, prejudice, it doesn't make any difference. It's all dangerous. It's all uh, terrible. You know, you have two, two poisons in two different containers. One's a little less poisonous than the other, but they'll both kill you. Which is the better one? There's not a good one, right? There's not a good choice. God expects us. It's not good enough for God, for people to do things the way they want to do it. We have to watch ourselves as Christians. We have to keep an eye on ourselves. Paul said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith or not. You know whether you're in the faith. The only person that knows more about my faith is God, other than me, right? And so we need to look at ourselves. I need to do this, this, and this in a positive sense. Well, I need to look at my life and say, well, am I doing some things I shouldn't be doing? Someone says, well, God said that you had to be faithful in your attendance. Okay, and in some way, I've convinced myself that that means Sunday morning. Unless i got something very important going on. So now I need to look at my life and say, I don't need to be missing services. I don't need to be doing something that I shouldn't be doing. And that's the whole warning. That's how warnings work, right? It, you, we can receive a warning in the positive and we can receive a warning in the negative. 
All the riches of Christ can be anyone's at any time if they will accept that. But before that can happen, we have to be obedient to that pattern we talked about. It's in the Bible. It's not difficult. But sometimes we allow, our, we allow pride and prejudice and, and non-belief and any number of things. And when I say we, I mean humanity in general. Faith in Christ and, and continuing the, the steps of salvation, just the beginning. But we want to benefit Christ or benefit from Him. Sometimes people leave, they come back. We do that through repentance and prayer, confession of the sin. And then we can benefit. Here's the thing we want to understand, and we'll leave you with this. And the lesson is yours. If we want to benefit from Christ, we have to be faithful. Allow Christ's sacrifice today to benefit you in a proper way as we stand and as we sing.